Praise God. Uh, you know, I did a New Year's, a Christmas message a while back, and then I just did a, a New Year's message on Sunday. And I want to do one more New Year's message because we got the New Year coming up. And it's important to just be orientated and sometimes reorientated toward uh, the truth. It's, well, definitely it's important if you're out of the truth, right? But sometimes we need to become more and more orientated to God's big picture, what he's calling us to, who he is, and serving him. So I've been getting into some typology lately, and uh, typology with an apology <laughs> to uh, some of the folks that have been saying, man, I love it when you teach on typology, you know? And uh, I said, I'll get back to that. We'll be doing some typology, so I've moved some of that in lately. Uh, but uh, this will be another message that is related to, it's, it's typological. And a typology could be an Old Testament person or an event, or an institution, or a holy day, or uh, a, a lot of different things, become pictures of the spirituality that we have in Christ, that God, in his sovereignty, and in his power, his providence, orchestrates history in such a way that he foreshadows redemptive events, things that he is going to do. Not just redemptive events, there's even types and pictures of the Antichrist. I mean, he, I mean, it's amazing how many times you see the cross in the Old Testament. What would come up with Jesus with regard to redemption and his cross. There's a, it's amazing how many times you see the resurrection. Long before Christ came and died on the cross and was raised from the dead, you see the resurrection over and over again. You remember on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus was going to the, on the road to Emmaus, uh, that two of his disciples after the resurrection, he saw them. And he expounded the scriptures to them and opened up their minds and they could see in the Psalms, and the law and the prophets in the Psalms, his resurrection. He shared his resurrection from those pages of scripture. And it's amazing to me uh, when you see, when you, when you wonder what exactly he was sharing with them. You know, he may have shared Jonah three days and three nights because Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. So shall the son of man be in the heart of the earth. He referenced that prior to that time. So he might have went there. They might have said, hey, they are going to get that. If they didn't get that from the other disciples, they'll get it when they read, you know, the Gospels. <laughs> so I'm to give them something totally different. We don't know exactly. But I was just, uh, came across a, I was reading something in the Old Testament. I'm like, and it was just a total powerful picture of the resurrection that I had never seen before. So I'm not sure. I'll share that maybe on Resurrection Sunday. I'm like, no way, Lord. That's just too beautiful. And it happens over and over again. And I've always say, we think, oh, we're getting it down. And then there's always so much more to learn, you know. But this is going to be typological to degree. And we're going to talk about a special day that was a picture of Christ and what it means to us and how we should be rejoicing uh, all the time, every day. But when the new year comes, we should especially be able to think of this day. Uh, and I want to talk about some couple other special days briefly just kind of hinting towards this day. And uh, I want you to go to your Old Testament and I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And when you get there, go to Deuteronomy chapter 15. And I just pray the Lord will bless you. It's been my prayer today that you'd get in the word with us and uh, that you would be really encouraged because when you go to the, what we call Torah, and you read Deuteronomy chapter 15, the first couple verses, it speaks of a special day. Because in those days, they had servants. Um, typically, your servant would be what well, called an indentured. You'd be an indentured servant. You'd have to serve. Let's say that you, you know, 
bought somebody's land from them or what have you, or you bought something from them, and it cost a lot of money, and then you couldn't pay your debt. And all of a sudden, they're in huge trouble because you can't pay their debt. And that could happen because all of a sudden, you're depending on somebody else paying their debt back. And it's not like you could just go to the bank, you know, and get a loan. You would be in big trouble. So one way the Lord allowed for people to pay back their debts was by being an indentured servant, where you could go and pay back that debt uh, by serving them as a servant. You'd be like a slave. You'd say, hey, I'm going to work for you. Oh, I owe you 25 years of work because yeah, that was very expensive. And I'm sorry, you know, I, I didn't pay you back. And so let's say you're working and you're like, man, why did I do that? I, or maybe you had some kind of calamity take place in your home. You know, your sons were working the field and they got died in some kind of accident, you know. And now you can't work the fields, you can't pay back the debt. All of a sudden you become a servant. And the Lord had a very gracious plan to set free those who found themselves bankrupt. And in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we read in verses 1 and 2, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. This is a matter of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor, and he shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. So after seven years of service, a week of years, uh, a Shabuah, you would be able to be set free, even though you may owe, owe 20 years or 30 years or whatever it was. That would be a happy day, wouldn't it? It would be like you'd go back to your wife or whoever you were, you'd go back to your family, and you'd be set free, even though you owed more work. That was the Lord having grace upon you. And it's a beautiful, beautiful law. And it's interesting because we have a chapter 7 bankruptcy here in our country, right? So isn't that interesting? And it's every, not seven years, but eight years. They were a little less gracious, gracious in the Lord. And there's strings attached to that the Lord didn't have attached as well, you know. But uh, that's every eight years. And it mirrors uh, the biblical pronouncement to a degree of, of the proclamation of uh, freedom after seven years of service. Somebody could declare bankruptcy. Uh, you could do that every eight years. I don't advise it. It should be if you, you prayerfully done if you do do it in a last resort kind of situation. But the Lord in his grace allowed that for the Jews. And that's quite fascinating, quite, quite beautiful. Every seven years. Now it's interesting because it, as cool as that was for somebody to be able to have that situation presented to them after seven years of service, there's something that was far more glorious than that. And that was a year of Jubilee. And let's go to Leviticus uh, chapter 25. And as you're going to Leviticus chapter 25, let's keep in mind the background here of the fact that the human race had fallen into sin. Humanity became enslaved. We all became indebted to God. Adam, he represented the humanity as the first man. His name literally means man, Adam, you know. And uh, it's interesting that Adam and Eve after they fell into sin, thorns and thistles came up. There's a mutation in nature, mutation in, in our, our physical beings. Uh, they were excluded from uh, the tree of life. God put cherubim around the tree of life. They went, couldn't partake of it. They couldn't continue to have that, that physical life that came from that tree. They were booted out of Eden. They were exiled from paradise. Uh, and we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, so the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden. Eden. 
But then right in that same chapter, you have in verse 15 what we call the Proto-Evangelium. Proto-Evangelium, the first evangel, the first gospel, the gospel appears. I know I've said a number of times that's really not the first time it appears. I believe it's as early as chapter one, the first two verses when we were, when the world was tohu wabohu. There's already a picture going on. But uh, for the sake of using popular terminology, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. And that's where we have the promise that there would be the seed of the woman, right? And the serpent and the seed of the woman would have his heel bruised by the serpent, but the serpent would have his head, what? Crushed by the seed of the woman. Amen. And Jesus crushed uh, Satan's head. He crushed it on the cross. Uh, it'll, and Satan will fully be destroyed when he's sentenced to the lake of fire, which is future. But Jesus defeated him on the cross because he had power over us because of the power of sin. When he led humanity into sin, we rebelled against God, the human race did. Adam and Eve representing the human race, specifically Adam as the head of the race. Uh, when he was able to do that and cause humanity to fall into sin by our choice, right? That kept man from the tree of life, kept him from life. Got booted out of Eden. Well, there's a lot of heavy things going on because since that time, God has been doing amazing work and has done incredible work to reverse that curse, right? Amen. To set things right, to restore us to paradise, amen? Happy day. Uh, well, Leviticus chapter 25, you have what's called the year of Jubilee. And this wasn't every seven years. It was every 50 years. 50 years. But when that 50 years had come, you weren't just set free as a servant, an indentured servant. You were set free in an, a myriad of ways. In fact, let's just read chapter 25 of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25. And let's read uh, chapter 25 verses just 10 to 12 right now. Leviticus 25, 10 to 12. And we read this. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release. Do you see that? Proclaim a release. But I want to keep those words in mind because it was called the year of proclamation, okay? It was the year of Jubilee. It was the year of proclamation. A year of release or freedom through the land to all its inhabitants, not just the indentured servants. This was for everybody to all the inhabitants of the land. It shall be a Jubilee for you. Shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family. So, if you lost your property, it was restored to you. If you were separate from your family as an indentured servant, you were set free. You shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather it from its untrimmed, untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its crops out of the field. Now, that's interesting. The jubilee, the, the Hebrew word that's translated jubilee, uh, that we get our word, I should say jubilee from, is yobel. Y-O-B-E-L would be the transliteration with a long O and a lot, long E, yobel. And that's where we get the word jubilee from. And 
It was the year of proclamation. And it's interesting because that word yobio comes from, uh, originally meant a ram's horn's trumpet, okay? A, uh, a ram's horn that was made into a trumpet that would blow and proclaim the year of Jubilee. So it was named after that, that horn, uh, the, the year of Jubilee. And it's quite amazing because there's a lot going on there. You wouldn't have to plant or plow your fields. I mean, that's a long time of plowing, man. Farmers get tired. They didn't have these big tractors and stuff. Even the guys with the big tractors and stuff these days get tired, right? But they were free from that. And the Lord would give them an increase providentially by his supernatural miraculous power the year prior to the year of Jubilee to give them enough to last them for a few years. So you had to trust the Lord. So he'd be set free from that. And that was quite awesome. And you'd be restored to, property would be restored, as I mentioned, to one's owners. Every debt would be canceled. Uh, you'd basically have a vacation for a year, you know? My wife and I have talked a few times recently how we haven't really had a vacation vacation for years, it seems like, you know? But we are like, but I thought, wow, that would be a pretty cool vacation. I couldn't handle it, though, because I'd be like, I go, I go away. It's like I got to get back to work. It's hard for me. You know? It's like I don't have so much time to do the Lord's work, you know. But, uh, but and sometimes you've got to force yourself to take leisure time. And I do, you know. I, I make sure I take some time to relax here and there and uh, hang out with the family and stuff. But it's interesting because the indentured servants, as I mentioned, they would put in servitude, slavery. Their debts would be set free. They'd return to their families. Imagine being a servant and being six years under a really mean master who's probably yelling at you man you wouldn't even be here if you would have paid your debt you know and extra harsh on you and all of a sudden you're set free you get to walk back to your family's home and you're restored to your family i mean this would be such a joyous time and it's like and not only that man you get to take off for a year now and relax no, I mean, there's menial things that they had to do, obviously, to feed themselves and stuff as far as, you know, uh, butcher an animal or what have you. But all in all, it was quite a time of, of, of uh, quite a holiday every 50 years. Now, it would be one thing to get, now, the, the Jews were already given a Sabbath day, a day of rest. You don't find that with other cultures. That was like a new thing. <laughs> that was pretty cool. You know, they got a day off, you know one day a week. Now they'd get, after seven years of servitude, they'd get that off. They'd get set free. Now every 50 years, they get this year-long vacation, the year of Jubilee. And that year of Jubilee is a picture or a type, just like so many other days. The Sabbath day is a picture of Jesus. Amen? You can read in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus is our rest. Amen? And some of our Seventh-day Adventist friends and the Seventh-day Baptists and those that are caught up in the Hebrew Roots movement will say, you've got to keep the Sabbath, man. That's one of the commandments. I say, yeah, it sure is a commandment if you're a Jew in Israel, you know, under the law. It was given to the Jews. In fact, we're told in Nehemiah that God gave it to them when they were in Egypt. You don't see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob even keeping it before it came in the law. And God gave them that under the Old Covenant as a sign for his deliverance of them from leaving Egypt. And he delivered them and they worshiped that as a sign of rest. And in the scriptures tell us in Jeremiah chapter 31 that God would make a new covenant with his people. 
not like the covenant he made with them at Mount Sinai, he says, when he gave the law to them, when he says, when I was a husband to you. Because in Jeremiah chapter 3, about 28 chapters earlier, he says, I, he gives them a right of divorcement from that law. You shall no longer say the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that held the law. Because he's going to bring them a new covenant now, not like the covenant I made with you at Sinai. And then when you go to Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about how Jesus is a fulfillment of the new covenant. And Jesus, when he took the bread and he took the cup, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, amen, which is shed in my blood. So we have a new covenant. So now you will look in vain in the New Testament for a scripture that tells you you must keep the Sabbath. Now wait, God rested on the seventh day? Yeah, and that's the one day where it has no night. And he continues to rest. And we enter into that rest through Jesus. Amen? Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, I will give you what? Rest from your souls. Take my yoke upon you. The Bible says not to be entangled again in the yoke of slavery, speaking of the law. Galatians chapter 5. Acts chapter 15, when they were saying, should we make the Gentiles keep the Mosaic law? They said, No. You know, our forefathers couldn't even keep that yoke. Why put that on them? And the, what you do read about the Sabbath in Paul's writings is let no one judge you according to a Sabbath day, Sabbaton. And, you know, the new moons, the Sabbath. In fact, he uses the same terminology that's used of the new moons and the Sabbath days in the Old Testament. Because he says these were mere shadows, but the reality is found where? In Christ. They would keep that day off, Saturday, and they would rest. And it's a picture for us that we rest from all of our way, works and trying to be right with God that guess what? We could never do it. We rest because Jesus paid for our sins, amen? We rest in him. He is our salvation. He shed his blood for our sins, amen? So it's a wonderful day. Now, it was a new day for them when they left Egypt, and it was great to commemorate that day with the Sabbath and it was, you know, God rested on the seventh day in the old creation. But guess what? We are the new creation, amen? And there's a new covenant. And Jesus rose on what day of the week? The first day of the week. And that's why we commemorate the first day of the week. Because the first day of the week commemorates the fact that we are a new creation. Are you with me? Okay. I don't want to get too heavy because this is not something I plan on even talking about other than mentioning the Sabbath was a special day. So I was supposed to take 10 seconds and move on. But I think it's something that's important to get your brain around, that these days were pictures of Jesus. Amen? And now I have to be really disciplined and just point out that the Passover was a picture of Jesus. Amen? The blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the perfect lamb, that, and then the wrath of God wouldn't fall on that household and the firstborn because they had the blood of the, the lamb, male lamb, perfect picture of Jesus. Amen? And Jesus was crucified, according to the Gospel of John, on Passover. Wow. Feast of first fruits, right? That's a picture of Jesus' resurrection. He lift up the first fruits, and it was a guarantee that the others would be raised too. <laughs> the other wheat, which is a picture of us because of his resurrection. And that comes, just guess what? Passover that happened on Friday, first fruits would have been Sunday morning. Just crazy. Yeah, well, the Jews counted a day and a night. They counted Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as a day and a night. We look at Jewish literature. It's quite interesting. 
So, and Jesus rose on Sunday morning. Some will say, well, wait, wait, wait. wait. He rose, some say it's, it says that at dawn they were going there before the sun rose and he was already risen. That's okay. Because the Jews, how do they count a day and a night? We look at day, night. Look at Genesis, night, day, okay? So they count night, day. Night, day was a day in Judaism. And it's just interesting. All these days were pictures of, uh, of Messiah. Well, guess what? So is Jubilee. And Jubilee is referenced in this messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61. Go there if you will. Isaiah chapter 61. I find this stuff so exciting. Jesus is our ultimate jubilee. In Isaiah 61, remember, this is a messianic prophecy about the coming Messiah. And we know from Isaiah that the Messiah would be born in, uh, where Micah 5, 2 would be born in Bethlehem. We know in Isaiah chapter 53 that he would give his life as a uh, guilt offering. And all of us like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Not the, the iniquity of most of us, but the iniquity of all of us. No limited atonement there upon him. Well, how do you know that all is speaking of everybody? Well, I know it spoke of every Jew. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Was that just some Jews or all the Jews? All of them. And those same all that went astray, the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Some theologies say, no, he didn't die for every Jew. Well, he did. Thus saith the Lord. Show me a scripture that says the opposite. You can't. Don't limit his gracious work of atonement. Now, in Isaiah chapter 61, we're told, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. See that? To proclaim liberty to the captives. Does that sound familiar? Well, it's, it's familiar in that we just read a passage in Leviticus chapter 25 about the year of Jubilee where liberty is supposed to be proclaimed. It's even more striking in the Hebrew because of the words that are used here and scholars point out that Isaiah chapter 61 alludes to the Jubilee. But the Jubilee is somehow connected to the Messiah. And this Messiah here, whoever this is going to be, is going to proclaim a jubilee of sorts. But since the antitype, the fulfillment of the type is always greater than the type, right? This jubilee, whatever Jesus is gonna bring regarding jubilee is gonna be far more fantastic than, now the seven years was cool, but then the 50 year jubilee is super cool. Whatever Jesus is gonna bring is like beyond super cool. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and the day of what? The day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Wow. Now this passage is quoted by guess who? Jesus of himself. Go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. And this is just after Satan, or Jesus, was dealing with the greatest slave owner ever, the most wicked slave owner ever, Satan. And Satan tried to tempt him to fall. Jesus withstood his temptation. And then he emerges from the wilderness. 
This was after he had been baptized, then went in the wilderness to be tested. And then in Luke chapter 4, well, we find something very fascinating. Verse 14, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through their surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. They didn't have chapters, like where it said chapter 61. We've got it easy. He found the place where it is written, verse 18, and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Catch that? He has what? Sent me to what? Proclaim release to the captives. That was harking back. That's a quotation from Isaiah 61 which refers to the year of Jubilee. Yet he's proclaiming it to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim what? The favorable year of the Lord. Now what does Isaiah go on to say right after that? Do you remember? And the day of what? And the day of vengeance of our God. That's God's wrath. But Jesus, when he came the first time, did not come to bring God's wrath, did he? The Bible says that Moses brought the law. John chapter 1, verse 17. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus. And his first coming, he came to bring deliverance from the captives. And we read in verse 19 to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This was a, favor, this was a favorable year of the Lord. It's like the year 50, but way beyond the year 50. And... Does he go on to read about the coming day of vengeance that he's going to bring that right then too? No, look what we read in verse 20. And he closed the book. He closed it. We have a period at the end of the Lord there. There wasn't a period. Well, they didn't use uh, the same kind of, you know, punctuation we did. But the sentence would continue to read on. But he stops right in the middle of the sentence. Right before the, the day of vengeance of our God. Because that's, his first coming was not to bring vengeance. Remember Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. It's the point of man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. But he came the first time, it says, in reference to our sin, meaning to pay for our sins. But we'll come a second time in reference to our salvation. The book of Hebrews, at least a dozen or so times, speaks of salvation as being future. Speaks of that future dimension more than most books. And we're waiting for that. But it'll be salvation for us. But we're appointed to salvation, right? And it says we're not appointed to wrath. When he comes back the second time, we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. But he'll bring his wrath upon the wicked. But he closes the book right before he gets to the day of the vengeance of our God. And he closes it right after that. Right after he gets to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then we read, and he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21 Verse 21, he says, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's radical. I just got the chills, man. That's just radical. Wow. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine being there? And then he goes about after this doing what? Proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
He goes, he's delivering the captives, casting demons out of people, right? Like Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons in her, right? Legion, uh, the, a guy who had a legion of demons in him, uh, all kinds of people, healing those who, the paralytics, uh, you know, those with epilepsy, you know, uh, those with various diseases, the woman with the issue of blood who touched his garment. And he just sets people free left and right. But most importantly, and praise God for the physical miracles he was doing, was the fact that he brought forgiveness of sins. Because sin separates us from paradise. Sin separates us from God. Sin keeps us enslaved to Satan, to sin, to death, to the grave, to hell. Well, Jesus came to set the captives free. Wow. Now, think of the way that Jesus fulfills the year of Jubilee, okay? First of all, what would you be, what would happen with all your debt that you had when that 50th year came? Pfft, wiped out. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, guess what? What would be better than that? Having all your sin debt forgiven, man. I'd much rather be in financial debt, you know? I'd much rather have that then be in debt to God and be in, 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 in him. Because when you're in debt to God, you owe him and he owes you. When you're in debt to God, you owe him righteousness that you could never pay back. Because anything good that you do does not make up for what you didn't do. I've used the analogy before. If you like run some over, someone over on the road and then you get away with it and then the cop call, catches you two years later, you say, oh, I obeyed the lie ever since that time. It's not gonna make up for that. You're going to jail. You're going to prison. And we've all committed crimes before God. And we owe him what we could never pay back. And we have to do the time. And our sins are more than the hairs of your head, man. And you're separated from God forever and ever because we can't pay it back. And he owes us something because he's a just God, a just God. He has to demand justice, payment for sin. Well, how does Jesus take care of that? Well, that's the whole reason of why he became a man, amen? That's why God became a man. Because the debt has to be paid and he finds no one that can pay it, no one that can stand in the gap. In Revelation chapter five, John's bawling because he knows the only way the scroll can be opened up, which executes God's judgment and brings forth the redemption of humanity uh, uh, that Jesus had already bought on the cross, but actually executes the final judgments that bring in uh, and the final harvest. The only way that takes place is if that scroll is open. And John weeps because he can't find anyone worthy to open that scroll on earth or under the earth or in heaven. No one. And he's told by the elders, stop weeping, John. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? The root of David, right? He has prevailed to open the scroll. And he looks and he sees the lamb standing, who was at seat at the right hand of the Father. Now he's standing as a lamb that's been slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He's God. But he's also the sacrificial lamb because God became a man. Because to pay for our sins, he has to take humanity upon himself. He has to become our kinsman redeemer. It's a whole other picture, whole other type. You know, the kinsman redeemer. Your kin could redeem you, but nobody, the Bible says, could redeem us from sin. The Bible says that the soul is costly and no man can redeem his brother. That's why God had to become a man. So if you had a debt, let's say, you know, you ran over 
the neighbor's kid with your camel, okay? And he ended up in the, the Jewish hospital there near Mount Zion or whatever it was. And then you were in trouble, man. And then you had a debt to pay because you were carelessly drunk and you just, you know, and you had an unclean animal in wrong kind of quarters of Jerusalem or whatever. You're like in double trouble now and then all of a sudden you're doing time. Well, guess what? When you went to jail, they'd put that placard, right? You'd have a placard where they'd put your crime, okay? And after you did your time, they would write to Telestai over that. Well, guess what? In the Greek world, and now I'm talking about the Greek, I'm extrapolating the Greco-Roman world, but they would write to Telestai over that. meant paid in full. But guess what? We all had way too many crimes we could never pay off. And when Jesus went to the cross, they would put the placard of your crime that you committed because crucifixion was the most horrific way to, to be killed. It was the most horrific thing they could come up with to kill a person. And they would put the placard of your crime at the top of that cross there so everybody know this is what this person did. This is what the Roman government is punishing them for. So don't ever think of doing this or you're going to be hanging up there on a cross. Well, above Jesus' head, what did it say? King of the Jews. Was that a crime? He was the king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He wasn't dying for anything he did wrong. What was he dying for? Us. And one of the last things he said was what? He cried out what? To Telestai. He cried it out from the cross, which means what? Paid in full. Paid in full. The year of Jubilee. Amen. We got set free, man, from our sin debt. Now, if somebody, if you got home today, and I don't know what kind of debt you have, if you have any at all, but you got home and you found out that, man, all the debt that you've accrued through the years has been forgiven. And somebody was so cool to pay it off for you. Would you be pretty happy? Right? You'd be humbled, maybe a little embarrassed, but thankful, Right? How much happier should you be that your sin debt, which would keep you from paradise and separate you from God for all eternity, has been paid by Jesus? You should be way happier, amen? And I think too often, because we hear it all the time, we ought to hear it all the time, we ought to be celebrated all the time, we sometimes become inoculated to it or we become you know, desensitized to the beauty of what Jesus did for us. Man, we should be jumping up and down. If you're not jumping up and down physically, you ought to be doing that at least in your heart, you know? Lord, God, thank you so much. We should be praising him. He gave his life. He poured out his blood. Leviticus 17, 11 says the life is in the blood. That's why he poured out his blood. He gave his life for us. Another thing that happened on the day of Jubilee that I mentioned is that you were restored to your family. You could be restored to your family that you were separated from because of being in servitude. If you were an indentured servant, for instance. Well, what does Jesus do in the ultimate Jubilee? He restores us to the Father, amen? He shows us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But guess what else he does? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 46. No one comes to the Father but through me, amen? We're restored to the heavenly family. Adam had life. He was part of the family of God. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38, it says that Adam was a son of God. He ceased to be a son of God. Don't say once a son, always a son. If once a son is always a son is true, then none of us can be saved because we used to be sons of the devil. Okay? But Adam was a child of God and humanity lost 
their sonship through him. And then, of course, we followed suit and we actually were condemned, each of us individually, when we fell into sin or we reached the age of accountability, I should say. Boom, then we were bonafidely condemned. So we've been restored to the Father. Now, if you were, say, for several years separated from your family because of your debt and you couldn't see people you loved and you were under this enslavement by this wicked tyrant of a guy, man, how beautiful it would be to be set free and see your family again, amen? And not just see your family again, but know that you didn't have to work your tail off for quite a while, right? That would be really, really wonderful. So uh, (laughs) I, I love this, you know. We've been restored to our Father in heaven. The next thing, one of the things we mentioned is that you wouldn't have to, mentioned you wouldn't have to serve that old slave master anymore. Well, guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, he set us free from Satan and Satan's power. And I've mentioned to you that one of the underrated, and people just ignore it, uh, uh, aspects of the atonement is Christus Victor, Christ's victory over Satan on the cross. It's throughout the New Testament. The early church fathers talked about it over and over again. In fact, they emphasized it more than the substitutionary aspect of what Jesus did, which I'm not applauding them for that. I'm just saying it used to be, they used to understand there was something very significant there. I emphasize the substitutionary aspect of what Jesus did more than Christus Victor, but I also want to emphasize the other. And you have all these books out saying, this is why Jesus died. No, this is why Jesus died. No, this is why Jesus died. And guess what? Most of these books have truth in them. He died for a lot of reasons. It says he died to show us love, 1 John, yeah? But John doesn't, doesn't ignore the fact that he died for our sins. He's a propitiation, the payment, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world, John says. So you don't want to ignore the substitutionary aspect of his death because you could find, wow, you know, he died as an example of love. He died to show God's righteousness. He died, well, and some are denying today, many are denying that Jesus died in our place on the cross. They say, oh, that would be child abuse. No kidding. That's what a lot of the emergents will say, a lot of liberal theologians. That's what the guy that wrote The Shack said, basically. Look at our video we did on The Shack. That's wicked. That's false teaching. That's very serious. Jesus died in our place and took the penalty that we deserve so we could be set free from Satan. So we could be forgiven of our sins, amen? But if so, if he didn't die in our place for our sins, we wouldn't be able to be set free from sin, Satan, hell, and death. Do you understand that? So the main emphasis, I think, remember the scripture I mentioned earlier? All of us like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all, our iniquity on him, Amen. In fact, the same chapter, Isaiah 53, says he partook of the stroke that we were due, right? We were due. He became a sin offering for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Now, I love this because, but I, but I want to emphasize, because it fits with the year of Jubilee so well, we no longer have to serve the old master or masters, Satan and sin. In fact, 1 John 1.8 says that Jesus was manifested for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? I love the fact that uh, uh, Galatians 4.7 says you are no longer a slave, but a son. We once were slaves to sin, man. You're slaves to Satan. It says you're no longer a slave, but a son. So we should be rejoicing that we're not slaves anymore. 
Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, God's children, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Ooh, that's heavy, man. Why did he do that? That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject, listen to this, who were subject to slavery all their lives. Woo, man, think about that. He saved us from the power of Satan and from the slavery that we were in through what he did on the cross. He became a man and died on the cross for our sins. Now, Satan has no power over us because it's what? Guess what? Our sins have been forgiven in Jesus, amen? So he's not able to keep us from the tree of life. Overcomers will have access to the tree of life. We ultimately have, we already have access to the ultimate tree of life, who is Jesus, amen? He gives us life. Wow. So we've been restored as children to our Father, restored as children to our Father. We're no longer servants, but children. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, and then 34 and 36. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house of forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Man, you need to rejoice that you're children of God. I love 1 John. Oh, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of God. I love that, man. Oh, what manner of love is this, that we, us wretches, us former slaves, us children of Satan, should be now called the sons of God. And John 1.12 says, as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Well, we are restored. Next, they were given their land back. If you lost land and you were a landowner and you lost it because you fell into debt and you're like, man, that beautiful piece of land I worked for all my life, man, or that was handed down to me by my family, my, my fathers and his fathers and his fathers. I can't believe I lost it, man. It was so beautiful there by the brook, you know, where the birds sang and, and we had such a beautiful, all those memories, it's gone. All of a sudden you're walking back to it. There it is. You're like, wow, it's mine again. Would that be beautiful? Well, guess what? It's far more beautiful for us, okay? Because we have received the inheritance that we lost and beyond that inheritance. Acts chapter, listen to all these verses that speak of being heirs and inheritance. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now I commit to you, Paul says the church at Ephesus, uh, uh, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Colossians chapter one, verse 12 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. I love that. Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wow. Galatians 4.7. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, you are also an heir through God. Wow. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. Wow. And of course, we're going to inherit a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. And we could go look at our inheritance and read Revelation 21 and 22. 
But we've been studying that lately on Sundays, right? So we won't go there, but we read there that there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more mourning, no more death. Amen? I mean, guys, I think we need to be more thankful than we are about what Jesus has done for us. I don't know, you might be saying, man, Joe, I've been so thankful. Well, praise God. When I say we, I'm saying collectively, as a group, corporately, you know, we need to be so thankful for all the blessings that we have in Jesus. And I mean, he's come to give us life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and you might have it more what? More abundantly. Okay? Jesus came to give us eternal life. Jesus himself said in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He didn't send his son of the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world may be saved. Amen? And we've actually become, the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, we are new creations. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I mean, we have so much to be thankful for. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That could be translated, it is in some translations, delivered. Through faith in Christ, See, you have to, you could, the year of Jubilee could come back. And if you didn't know better, and you had a wicked slave owner, you could just keep on serving, not knowing that you'd just been set free. You know that. You're out in the boonies, slave owner says it's a year of Jubilee, but guess what, I don't follow that, that God anyway of the Bible. I'm going to keep this servant here. You could serve the rest of your life, eking out your existence, not knowing that you could be set free. And that's the way it is for millions of people today. Jesus died to set them free. All they have to do is turn to him and call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says if we believe in our heart that Jesus, uh, that Jesus died for our sins, Romans 10, 9 and 10, a few verses before verse 13, which I mentioned earlier, if we believe in our heart, right, that God raised Jesus from the dead and that we confess with our mouths that he is Lord, we shall be what? We'll be saved. We'll be delivered. Amen? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Proclamation. Amen? The word's being proclaimed. Now Jesus is proclaiming the ultimate jubilee based on Leviticus 25, prophesied in Messianic Psalm in, in Isaiah chapter 61, referenced in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus quotes that. He also quotes another verse in chapter 58, verse 6, he quotes not just 61. If you look closely, he's quoting a little bit chat earlier from Isaiah 58. He worked that into the message about true freedom. And he was proclaiming that publicly. Have you been set free by the grace of God? Well, guess what Jesus expects you to do? He expects you to proclaim this message to others. Amen? Jesus called his disciples. Some of them were fishermen. And he said, I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Amen? He told them to go into the highways and byways and, and that his house may be filled and compel them to come in, he said. He said, go preach repentance for the remission of sins. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations, right? Making disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the world. He commanded them to go. Didn't suggest, maybe you guys might want to go share the gospel once in a while. No, he commanded them to go. 
He said, freely you have received, freely what? Freely give. So we need to make sure, guys, brothers and sisters, we have the, 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 the ultimate jubilee, Jesus, has been proclaimed to us and we've been saved and we have, and, and I always emphasize to you, the forgiveness of sins is huge and I emphasize that more than anything when I preach, but you know what? It's so much more to it. We're talking about sonship, talking about restoration to the Father. We're talking about being eternal heirs, amen? It's so beautiful. The forgiveness of sins brings us into a right relationship with God. And we celebrate that. But you need to be thankful too that you are an heir of God. And there's so much to be thankful for. And guess what? We are also called ambassadors. Amen? Right after he says, if anyone be in Christ is a new creation, behold, old things have passed away. It says all things have become new. He tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ now. And ambassadors come from one nation and one king and they go into a foreign land and represent that king in that land. Well, the Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places, amen? The Bible says that we belong to him and that our citizenship is in heaven and that our focus is not to be in this world but on the kingdom of God, amen? And guess what, brothers and sisters? You are an ambassador. If you're a Christian, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're a new creation. If you're a new creation, you have received all these beautiful benefits and will continue to receive them and they'll be unfolded in ways beyond your wildest dreams. But you're also an ambassador that's supposed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord just like Jesus did. Because Jesus says, even as the Father sent me, I send you. So when Jesus was sent to proclaim the favor of the year of the Lord, now he sends us to let people know that this is a day of grace, man. That you need to find, you need to accept God's grace and what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you can be forgiven of your sins. You can become children of God. You can be reconciled to the Father. You can have an eternal inheritance. That's the good news. We have really, 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 really good news to proclaim. And there's so much bad news in the, in, in every time it's on the news, COVID this, COVID that, COVID, you know, the tax, the, the debt, with nations, all this stuff. And man, we've got the really good news. And we need to get off our rear ends and proclaim it, amen? And share this good news with others so they can be saved like we've been saved, amen? Reminds me of those two lepers who came over the hill and they figured, man, we're being surrounded by these, you know, we're dead. You know, Israel's dead, we're dead, they're thinking, and we, we're, we're lepers, you know, we can't even hang out with people and we're, don't, we're starving to death. Let's go and ask the enemy that's, that's surrounded Israel and just ask them for some food. If they kill us, we're gonna die anyway. And God causes the great tumult, the sound of an army and the army splits. We're in trouble, they take off and all the pots are there cooking with all this yummy food and they're just waltzing in. And I think that, that's pretty comedic actually. It's pretty funny if you, I think they make a movie out of that, at least that scene, right? It's like, and these lepers are like just, and one of them's like, wait, I can't even eat, man. All this free food. We need to share this with our people. How could we just eat and be content when other people are starving? They're thinking, Paul said we're debtors to the gospel. That's not a debt we have to pay in regard to being saved. Jesus paid for our sin debt, amen. But man, we should be proclaiming this gospel to others. And letting them know this is a favorable year of the Lord. Because guess what? The day of vengeance is coming. And if you don't have God's grace, his wrath will fall upon you. For it is appointed man wants to die, but after this is a judgment. For he appeared the first time in reference to our sin, to take away your sin. He's coming back to bring salvation to those who know him, but vengeance to those who reject him. So brothers and sisters, man, let's get excited this year about the fact that we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? that we're not under condemnation, 
that our debts have been forgiven, that we're no longer under Satan's power, that we've been restored to our Father, that we have an eternal inheritance, that we're children of God through faith. Let's rejoice this year in all of that, but let's also make sure that we proclaim this gospel to others. Amen? And uh, tomorrow morning, I think we're meeting here at 6 a.m., you know? It's gonna be a glorious day, man, because we're gonna head up to Mexico. I think there's about 25 of us or so. That's great. I remember one time we went, we had about 100 people from the fellowship go. Just like 97 or so. That's before all the shootings started getting all publicized. So, you know, there's a backing off a little bit. But here we are again. And pray for us, you know. But you don't have to go to Mexico to tell people about Jesus, amen? Because you have neighbors, you have friends, you have schoolmates, you have people at work, you have people in the grocery, you have all kinds of people everywhere that are under the spirit of fear and they're in servitude to Satan, you know. And they need to know that Jesus died. They can be set free. So it's like, Pray for boldness, that God would give you boldness to proclaim the favor of the year of the Lord. Amen. Paul said that. Pray for me that I have boldness to share the gospel. Because we always think of Paul as being, he just came out of the womb, bold. I don't know if that's that, that way, because he's praying that he'd have boldness to preach the gospel. That's an example to me. Sometimes my wife says, you just share with everybody anywhere. And I say, that's not always true. There's times where I have to say, Lord, help me be strong. Help me share with this person because I've got to fly next to them for the next three hours and they might get really upset with me. So help me pick the right time, you know. They might be saying, pick your mask up when I'm eating my little nuts, you know. Who knows? But you know what? Let's pray the Lord gives us strength to share the gospel. It gives us a heart for the lost like Jesus had. Let's make sure we see people for who they are. People are either resurrections to life or resurrections to damnation. Jesus said, there shall come forth they that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So I see people that way. When I see you, I look at you, man, this person's heaven bound, praise God. They love Jesus. When I see a lost person, I realize, man, this person's going to lake of fire. They need to hear the gospel. And that gives you an unction, a desire to see them saved. Don't let your hearts grow cold as things get uglier and uglier in this world. Because Jesus said that would happen to many. The love of the many. We, we read the love, love of many will grow cold, but in the Greek it's the love of the many. The majority. And he's talking to his apostles, disciples here. Now the world doesn't have love. He's warning about a great falling away that's coming. And because lawlessness will increase, he said the love of the many will grow cold. Don't let your heart get cold. You know? You can hear these lying politicians, Nancy Pelosi and others who just are, pad their pockets and everything else, and, and you can start to get a little bitter. You start to get upset, saying this is so unjust, this is so wicked what these guys are doing. All the lies about COVID and everything. You, you, know, you know, first it's like, you know, you got Rachel Maddow saying, oh, this vaccine, nobody's gonna get COVID now. It takes a vaccination, nobody's gonna get it at all. Lies. There's so many lies, you know. Oh, if you wear the mask, you won't get COVID. Lie. It's actually made things a lot worse in some ways because people come in thinking that they're immune to it because they've got a shot or they've got a mask and then they get it and they die. The lies have actually killed people. But what can happen is you can become bitter and you can forget that people need Jesus and that we were once sinners too. We were once in rebellion to God too, amen? And God saved us by his grace and those people need grace. We just say, Lord, help me love people even though they're so blind because I was once so blind too. Amen? Help me share the gospel with them. Help me be excited about you and getting together with you. Praise the Lord, you're here tonight. It's cold, a lot of people are sick, but you're here, you're saying, I want to get closer to Jesus. I want to 
give, pay tribute and, 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 and give you know, him the praise that's due his name. Not, not tribute meaning pay him back, but I want to give you the praise that's due your name because you're so good. I want to learn more about you. This coming year, the Bible says not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but get together all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching, amen? Let's make sure we're committed to fellowship with one another, encouraged to building one another up, and encouraging and, and committed to be a witness to the lost, proclaiming the favor of your Lord, amen? Just pray, Lord, to keep crying out, use me, and he will. Pray for divine appointments, and they will come. I've never prayed for divine appointments and then got bored later. Because it's like, people just show up. Out of, it's like, wow. And so many other people have told me that too through the years. I'm like, yeah, it's a trip, man. You pray for divine appointments, boom, it happens. Because that's the will of the Father. His eyes go to and fro throughout the earth looking for those he can strengthen to serve him. Amen? He wants to use you. Just say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Amen? Praise God. I love you guys. I'm sorry if we're getting off a little early tonight, but it's kind of a good thing. I got the message across, right? Praise God. Okay, he is good. Can we all stand up? And you know what?